You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Habakkuk 1, 1 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days, that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar, They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Father, we come before you. And Lord, I thank you for the words of that song, just to remind us of how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. Lord, to have an opportunity to hear your word. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your word. Father, I pray that you would take the words from my mouth that that move to our ears, God, and I pray that your spirit would do something that I cannot and would move those words from our ears to our heart, that we might trust in Jesus. Father, hide me behind the cross this evening. For our good and your glory, we ask these things in your precious son's name. Amen. You may be seated. It is good to be with you, and I bring you greetings from the East Mountains, Mountain Valley Church, in the name of Jesus Christ. Was excited to have the opportunity to revisit the book of Habakkuk. I had the opportunity to preach through Habakkuk just as we basically transitioned into the shelter in place. So. Uh, about midway through May into uh, April, or switch that April into May, and uh, we, as a church, looked at this, and when Nathan asked me, I was excited because the dynamics that we see in the world and in America and in New Mexico are completely different now than they were then, in that so much more has happened and gone on that we will see in the book of Habakkuk. But let me begin by just considering with you this evening, uh, have you ever thought about how many questions there are in life? Life is full of questions, right? Uh, Questions that little children ask about where babies come from. Uh, Questions of uh, new parents as they hold those new babies and what do I do with this, right? Um, There's questions asked by doctors and researchers looking for cures and vaccines something like COVID. There's questions that we ask in court cases. There's questions that parents ask of kids. There's questions that we all have tonight, like how do we get here and can we just start 2020 over again? Like we we all have questions. And and what, what, what we need to consider is that the simpler the question, the easier it is to answer, which means that there are questions that are more complex. That no matter how much we wrap them up, there's some of those easier questions that you can wrap up with a nice little bow. And and there's some of those more complex questions that no matter how long you wrap them, it looks like a two-year-old wrapped it with newspaper. 
And some of those questions we see in our passage this morning. Questions like, where are you, God? Questions like, why does it seem that God is most silent when we need him most? Why does God often seem indifferent in the face of evil? Why do evil people seem to not only go unpunished, but if you look at Psalm 10, almost it seems like they're successful in their endeavors. The difference when it comes to the book of Habakkuk is that God actually answers the question. But what do you do when you have this question for God and he answers you, but it's not what you wanted? It's not even what you had expected. This was the experience of the prophet Habakkuk. If you weren't familiar with Habakkuk leading up to the study and in any announcements that Nathan might have made, you might have looked at the book and said, how do I even pronounce this book? Is it Habakkuk? Is it Habakkuk? Is it Chewbacca? I mean, there's any number of ways that people pronounce it. And it is a privilege to be able to begin this book study with you this evening. Habakkuk might be a small and obscure book, but don't let any unfamiliarity you have with it or its location in the middle of the Minor Prophets leave you thinking that Nathan just needed to get an Old Testament book in. Because while it's not about politics in the 21st century, the specific context of Habakkuk and the international implications that it had then, before, during, and after Israel might give us some insight about our own national and international affairs in 2020. Habakkuk gives us insight as to the response of, of what we should have, of what we should feel and see when it comes to the things that both go on in our world, internationally, nationally, uh, in our smaller communities, whether it's here in Albuquerque or on a state level. And as I mentioned earlier, we recently taught through this at my church, and, and there was one theme that seemed to keep bubbling back up to the top throughout the course of our journey, and uh, I'll pose this to you this evening, but if you thought about the book of Habakkuk and kind of the overarching theme, I would pose to you that it is this. God is a just, sovereign, warrior king, and in his time will punish all wrongdoing and injustice as he preserves all who walk by faith and humbly look to him for help, guidance, and satisfaction. Let me read that again to you. God is a just, sovereign, warrior king, and in his time will punish all wrongdoing and injustice as he preserves all who walk by faith and humbly look to him for help, guidance, and satisfaction. A couple landmarks that we should be aware of on the journey through Habakkuk. Just kind of introduction to the book, I would give you four. So uh, the first one is in regards to its style or the genre that Habakkuk is. Habakkuk is very similar to what is called a psalm of lament. It is, a, uh, it is full of questions that you'll see similarly in the Psalms of Lament. For instance, in verse 1 it says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And these are very common questions that appear in these Psalms of Lament. And, and here's a reason to consider why it would be important for me to talk about this style or this genre. It's because there's a really important powerful truth when we understand these questions, when we understand the, the first four verses of Habakkuk, ask these questions and it helps us to learn your situation is not unique. Now, I don't say that to minimize whatever each one of us is going through individually or on a family level or as a church. But it's really important that we fight the temptation that when you feel like you can't see God, to think that you're the only one to ever ask these questions. 
The Bible is full of the psalmist and Jeremiah in Lamentation and Habakkuk here asking God incredible questions of his character and his identity and his presence. And so when you feel like you can't see God, it's important to realize that you're not alone in asking these questions. Habakkuk wrestled with these questions. And as we see in any psalm of lament, there's what is called a hinge or a turning point. In the book of Habakkuk, uh, the, the hinge, the turning point is in the last chapter. Essentially what a hinge or a turning point is, is it means it, it is that point, it, it serves as the point where the author identifies, I am going to stop seeing things on an earthly level and start seeing them from the heavenly perspective. Or as Paul might say, change, the set, change our set of mind to stop seeing things on the earth, but start seeing things from a heavenly standpoint. And the hinge for the book of Habakkuk appears in two words in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, where it says, though and yet, and it says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. If you're familiar with musical terms, this should help you see that the book of Habakkuk, the vast majority of the book of Habakkuk would be a, a, a depressive song. It'd be a song in the minor key. And, and, and so there is a, a tone that we should consider as we approach the book of Habakkuk. Secondly, there's a uniqueness of the book of Minor Prophets, so that the second landmark to consider is all other prophetic books that are in the, the, the Minor Prophets and the Major Prophets were a record of God's word for God's people. The difference is Habakkuk is the record of a prophet having a conversation with God, with, with God, and the byproduct of that conversation is a prophetic word about Israel. And so there is this prophetic word of God that comes to Israel through this conversation. Landmark number three. There is a hermeneutical challenge. That's a big fancy word for an interpretational challenge that we really have to consider, especially when it comes to the book of Habakkuk, but when you think of the Minor Prophets. As, as you read through the Minor Prophets, you're gonna read uh, discussions about Israel, you're gonna read discussions about J Judah specifically, you're gonna read uh, discussion about Babylon. Uh, the word here is uh, identified as the Chaldeans. And, and a lot of times, we wanna find where, are, where am I, where are we, where, where are we in this book? And, and, and so, so the challenge comes that there's a lot of talk of these nations, but we can't make false equations. For instance, this should come as no surprise. So this is the obvious one. America is not Israel. We're not even mentioned really in the Bible unless you were to wait until Nathan gets into chapter two and talking about the five woes. We might be somewhere in there described as Babylon. But you're not going to find America in the book. You will find principles that we can draw on. Some of the parallels we see in Habakkuk's day based on his questions and our own culture, but that doesn't make us the same. Here's another one. Another example of this is that Israel is not the church or Judah is not the church. There is a, a dynamic of us being God's people, but the problem is some of the assumptions that Habakkuk makes are based on the Mosaic Covenant. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians that we are under a much, much better covenant mediated by Jesus Christ. So just something to consider as you're walking through and understanding the book. Lastly, one last landmark uh, for any of you history nerds, history buffs out there, the prophetic, as in the foretelling aspect of Habakkuk, is how we know when Habakkuk was written, when it took place. In Habakkuk 1, we see the Lord respond to Habakkuk's concerns about injustice and oppression in Judah. 
And so God answers that question by saying, I'm going to bring justice through the Chaldean invasion of Judah. From a historical standpoint, if you're interested, you can read the chapters of 2 Kings verses 24 and 25. That, that is a description of Nebuchadnezzar coming in in the date 586 when the, Babylon, the Babylonian uh, invasion happened. But this book starts a lot farther before that. Uh, Babylon began to rise to power in 625 B.C., and it was during their rise that Babylon obliterated nation, uh, the, Egypt, the nation of Egypt as a power in 605. And so when you take this prediction of what's happening here in Judah, in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 1, most date the book somewhere between the years of 626 and 605. I think we can get a lot closer for an important reason. When you ask the book, when you ask what was going on in Judah during that time, well, during the years of 640 to 609, there was a guy by the name of Josiah who was a king. He was one of the youngest kings in Judah's history, and he was a good king. His priest found the word of God, and when they found the word of God, they started reading it, and they tore their clothes and were mourning because they recognized we are so far off of what we should be as a people. And they started making reforms about the relationship with God, with the people, and on worship of God as a people. And then he died in 609. And after Josiah, in 609 to about 598, Judah had two extremely evil kings. Everything Josiah did, they basically went the opposite direction. It's not a make or break issue, but I think that when you look at the context of the history, if you read 2 Kings, you would see that, Second King, or that Habakkuk was probably written in the early years of King Jehoiakim in 609 or 608-ish. So somewhere in there, just about 20, 25, 26 years prior to the Babylonian invasion. And all of that to say this, the book of Habakkuk if I'm right on the dating, is somewhere between, it was written somewhere between, uh, somewhere just over 2,600 years ago. And yet, the more I read Habakkuk, and the more I study it, I'm convinced that this is a key book that the church needs in 2020. The existence of violence and injustice in the world we simply went into it because it was, it's an election year and there's political implications, not because I'm going to talk about politics per se tonight, but it's interesting to see how this book has such an impact on what we're trusting in. We didn't know COVID was going to hit. We didn't know we'd be in a shelter in place. And even since then, there's been the progression of the injustice that we see on a national level and violence. Black Lives Matter. All of these situations have raised anxieties on an epic scale. An APD officer that I'm friends with in our church was telling me about the rise in suicides all throughout COVID-19. He walked in on one, unbeknownst to him. And it just dawned on him the realization of how much anxiety and fear we live in in the world. It's important to know that maybe your concerns don't get to a state or national level. Maybe you're here tonight and, and your main focus is not necessarily the violence or injustice we see. Maybe you're just trying to figure out why God seems silent in the midst of your personal crisis or your family crisis. Well, the answers are all nuanced as in different shades of a similar color, Habakkuk seems like the reminder we need as we walk through these continuing uncertain and troubling days asking this, what is going on? Uh, all of that comes to you by way of introduction. I know that counts against my time. So let's go ahead and look at our first 11 verses of Habakkuk this morning. And if you were to summarize our sermon today in a sentence, I would say this, trusting God 
Trusting God's justice requires humility. Trusting God's justice requires humility. Let's look at the first 11 verses as we see here at the beginning. Four, our first point this morning is Habakkuk's concern for injustice and violence. Habakkuk, as I mentioned, lived in the final years of Judah, and the slide of the people from God was long and far and fast. You can read about that fall in 2 Kings, uh, but Habakkuk's major concern about his country, as he looked and saw all of the sin, specifically the violence and injustice, notice what he says in verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? The perception or was it the reality for Habakkuk, was essentially Habakkuk said, all I see in my country is violence. True today? Habakkuk uses six different words in the first, in that verse three. Two pair, uh, three, three sets of two, all in that one verse when he says iniquity and wrong. The second pairing is destruction and violence. And the third pairing is strife and contention. What I find interesting is that as Habakkuk surveyed the land of his country, he didn't give us in 2020 or any time period for that matter, he didn't give us examples of what those were. So I wonder this morning if we could see some of those parallels, see some of those similarities in our current time as we think about those first two words, iniquity and wrong. These are two words that are commonly used in description of perverted justice or social oppression. Maybe that looks like today for us is the huge part of our national conversation right now about police brutality and the abuse of power. Is it the rise in domestic abuse during the days of COVID-19? Property crime went down in Albuquerque, but domestic violence went up. Is it with someone who's wrongfully convicted of a crime? Or is perverted justice someone, a criminal, getting a slap on the wrist? I don't know how many of you watched the movie Taken with Liam Neeson, but as much as we would cheer on and cheer for Liam to go get his daughter... We would celebrate that. Taking justice into your hands is wrong. Maybe iniquity and wrong is when we see that abortion was placed on that essential list during COVID-19. Maybe iniquity and wrong fills in the category of the LGBTQ movement and the things that are associated with that. I don't know, but I know that that wasn't all Habakkuk saw, was it? He said, destruction and violence are before me. Those words destruction and violence are the idea of unjust oppression of weaker members of the community. Again, if we looked at that today, maybe that is seen oh so clearly in the sex trade that surrounds us on the Navajo reservations. Maybe it's the results of the riots that destroy and loot and oppress business owners. Maybe it's the violence seen in school shootings, kids being a weak part of our community. The East Mountains, I, I don't know how many of you have made it on the other side of that mountain range just to your east, uh, but if you ever go over there, uh, the, the woods are scattered and littered with meth labs for dealers who prey on the poor and the weak. Who, who are we joking? Breaking Bad didn't uh, start in the East Mountains, did it? It started here in Albuquerque. The, the drugs in their dealers oppress how many untold members of people through the the promise of joy, but the assurance of addiction. And then, as if that wasn't enough, Habakkuk says, strife and contention. 
What's interesting about this last, these last two words is that, is that if, if we were to put categories of wrong, they are, sim, they are seemingly not as bad as the iniquity and wrong and destruction and violence, but what we see is a strife and contention, a division as a result of conflicting wills. But we can see the breakdown of the family. And that family courts are full of families where spouses just can't get along. Maybe you can see this one in the different news agencies. Conflicting wills, we would generally call it, that each news agency has their own agenda. Look, I'm not here tonight to say what letters you should watch or what anchors you should listen to. I think part of the problem is that we give either side too much attention. Most news is not concerned with truth, but what drives their agenda. We could go on about just those six words, but I think that we get the picture that what Habakkuk looked out and saw in his country and he was broken for, we don't have to look that far. Habakkuk's primary concern is the affliction of the godly and the prosperity of the ungodly. He echoes Psalm 10 asking, where is justice? As Christians, as followers of Christ, we should long for justice. We must long for justice. And, and let me be very clear, not one defined by culture or society. Social justice might be right on this exhibit over here, but absolutely wrong on this exhibit over here. This is because our understanding of justice should come from none other than God's word. It's interesting how if you look at the story of Adam and Eve, they wanted to be the judges of right and wrong. I used to think growing up that that name, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, was just some arbitrary name that theologians picked out. Until I realized that the history of man started there with Adam and Eve, where they said, I want to decide what is good and evil for me. I want to decide. I want to sit in the judgment seat, God. And Habakkuk knew that the law was the standard for Israel. This is actually what drove Habakkuk's words in verse 4. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surrounds the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. He saw the law, which was given to, to be a guide according to the Mosaic Covenant. And, and he saw that it was completely disregarded. It was no longer used as the standard of right and wrong in Judah. The law wasn't just a spiritual document, though. For, for Judah, it was, it was more than that. It was, it was to govern the nation of Israel as a people of God set aside for the purpose of God. And I think this begs the question, what is our standard of living? For Israel, it was the law of God. For the church, we have the completed revelation of God. One of the five solas of the Reformation was sola scriptura because this is the standard of living, not the Constitution, not the Bill of Rights. Far too many Christians look to the Constitution and the amendments as their standard of right and wrong. Not because the Constitution and amendments are, are some kind of a spiritual document, but they do tell us a, a certain form of what is right and wrong. And, and let me be very clear, I'm not arguing as much against the Constitution and the amendments as much as uh, I'm arguing for the Word of God in the believer. If you've ever been to the South, I spent about seven years of my life in the, the Bible Belt, specifically uh, lower Alabama, northwest, Pennsylvania, northwest Florida. And, and it is entirely common that you can drive around and you can see the American flag on top of the Christian flag. And some would say, well, Pastor, that's just, that's just symbolic. 
Maybe that's the problem. If you move to another country, think about it. You live under that government's law. Not because that law is final, but because God's word tells you to. In any government, just like Habakkuk saw, though, in Judah, you can find the wicked surrounding those who are trying to do right. And this is because the problem is not ultimately found in a particular way of government, but in the fact that man is sinful. As followers of Christ, we, we must see the greatest problem leading to injustice and violence in our cities, states, country, and the world is a heart problem. Long before Habakkuk, Moses told Israel that they had a heart of stone. And that wasn't just true of Israel. If you remember God's judgment of all of creation in Genesis, when he said the Lord saw when when the writer of Genesis, Moses, says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You see, these issues that we commonly want to put in political categories, they're issues of the heart. They're not issues of Republican or Democratic or wherever else you are on the spectrum. More than a, a concern for this injustice that Habakkuk saw and the violence that abounded in his country, Habakkuk saw how it, uh, how it continued and went unpunished. So Habakkuk turns to the only person he knew that could do anything about it. It says in that first verse, verse 2, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Cry to you violence, and you will not save. Do the injustices and violence that you see around you every day, do they break your heart? Or have you just at this point ticked it off as, it'll be over in November, or maybe February? Because these things, should, these things should break our heart because this is the exact point of why it is a lament. Because we look at something earthly and we know of all people, followers of Christ, know the justice of God. And these two things, they don't align, they don't match. And there's this tension. The Christian lives in that tension when we see the reality of the world we live and so Habakkuk's complaint was, God, why are you so indifferent? Where are you? Even accuses God. In verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Habakkuk's concern shows us what the people of God should feel when we look out and see violence and injustice and ungodliness and destruction and violence and strife and contention. But Habakkuk got an answer. The divine silence was broken. The problem is that it wasn't the answer he wanted. The short answer of our second point, which is entitled God's answer to Habakkuk's concern. The short answer is that God is going to judge Judah with the Chaldeans. God is going to judge Judah by bringing in another country more wicked than they, and you'll look at that next week, uh, but more wicked than they and destroy them. And just like Adam and Eve needed to trust that God knew what would bring them life, he knew the definition of good and evil. Habakkuk here is faced with this presentation of God's justice. And he has to trust him. He has to trust that God is not blind, nor has he closed his eyes to the ugly realities of life in Judah. And that he will bring justice. 
There's a bit of irony. If you have your Bible, look at verse 5. The irony is in the way God answers the prophet. In verse 3, notice some repetition of words. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you look idly at wrong? If you looked at verse 5, it says, Look among the nations and see Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. There's this idea of looking and seeing, and instead of idly, there's a work. And, and, and the, the Habakkuk wants us to see, after he's learned his lesson all the way through the book, he wants us to see the inconsistencies of what we see to what God sees. And Habakkuk... learned a lesson about the nations and how they would be impacted by the news that God gave him. Judah's independent and prosperous kingdom would be gone. They would suddenly overnight become a slave nation to Babylon. After rebuilding from the first destruction, Egypt would be crushed almost overnight. Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, would be so entirely pillaged that people would forget where it was as a city. And the Chaldeans, that was the new king of the hill, the bully on the street. All of these things are what God tells Habakkuk, look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. In that 50-year span, from about 625 to 586, little less than 50 years, the entire map of the world is changed. For Habakkuk, God's response was not what he expected. Listen to these words. For behold, verse 6, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own, they are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth, go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. They all, they all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. See, when Habakkuk thought God was idle, he's at work bringing about the restoration of his people through his justice. Question for you. You can nod your head if you want. Should Habakkuk have been surprised by this prophecy? Yes or no? Let me read to you Deuteronomy chapter 28. Not the whole chapter, just a few verses. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 45 through 52. Notice the similarities in the description. These are the words of Moses, or the words of the Lord through Moses. In verse 45 of Deuteronomy 28, it says, All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord, listen, the Lord will bring a nation against you from afar away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle. 
A nation whose language you do not understand. A hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you destroy it. It shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil. The increase of your herds or the young of your flock until they have cursed, until they have caused you to perish. They shall besiege you in all of your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land, and they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. Judah had disregarded God's standards, so the covenant curses would be unleashed on them. Judah wasn't the only guilty people, though. Even by God's own identification, the verse I didn't read, verse 11, then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men, speaking of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, guilty men whose own might is their God. They had no regard for Yahweh because their concern was for themselves. You can see this in the story of Nebuchadnezzar's arrogance when he went from king to cow, or what I like to call from barren to beast in Daniel chapter 4. Let me ask you a question. What would you think if someone described to you all the events of the past four months in, say, 2010 or 2005? That the whole world is going to close down for two plus months? Most major cities would be set on, most major American cities would be set on fire. People would even try to start a new country inside a major U.S. city. What would you have said? Yeah, I could maybe see all of those going on in different time periods, but all in one compressed four-month period? Yeah, no, that's, that's a bit extreme. I want to be very clear with what I'm about to say. I don't claim to be a prophet in, in the sense of knowing the future. But I want to ask, can I take a little bit of liberty and pose some considerations based on the realities we see in this text. If God is capable of doing this to Israel, to Judah, with Babylon, and Babylon with the Medes and the Persians, read Daniel chapter 5, and then the Romans, and, 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 and one country after another, what makes you think that he might not do that with America? What if the American experiment comes to a screeching halt in 2021 or maybe 2024? What if God uses a virus out of China to absolutely destroy America and the rest of the world because of the evil that is within it? I'm not saying that this will happen, but the reality is our hope as Christians is not in America. Before you label me as America hater, the reality is this. Every people group left to their own devices and apart from the mercy of God will become like Babylon. Including Israel and Judah who had the mercy of God and the revelation of God, and the presence of God. And they became like Babylon. I, I have found myself in the last several weeks coming to grips with the reality that I know in my head that God is sovereign. But sometimes when I look at the things of earth, it's easy to be overwhelmed with fear. Not necessarily for me, but as a husband and a father, I'm increasingly worried about the world my two daughters will grow up in. While pastors talk about what ministry looks like in difficult times, Nathan and I were just joking before that no pastor had in mind navigating the waters of the last four months. And yet church, Christ church, let me tell you this, I believe this is the beginning of challenging times for Christians and the church. Pray for your pastors. Pray that they would have wisdom and guidance and clarity from God's word. Pray for your pastors. 
because I've come to the reality it's entirely possible to know in my mind. I went to seminary. I preached the Bible, right? I know that God is in control in my mind. And yet, fear can still enter your heart. Brothers and sisters, we must live knowing that the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We need a bigger God. A small God will never get you through difficult times. See, the reality is part of living in God's world means we trust him to run his world. He controls the nations. Our place is to humbly trust and obey. See, there are times when it might seem like God is not around or that he's letting things happen and you're like, God, what in the world? But know this. If the word of God demonstrates anything, that it's that the judgment of God is careful and judicious. Those who are found guilty Those who are arrogant and rely on their own strength and definition of justice will receive his justice. God will not only bring justice, he has proved, he has, God will not only bring justice, he has provided justice through the work of his son on the cross. God told Habakkuk, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. It's interesting, Paul uses very similar words, similar language when he introduces the gospel in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God, though through the folly of what we preach, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Verse 30 says, And because of him you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. God will and has brought justice. Trust that he knows how to run his world better than you do. Trust that he knows how to run your life better than you do. Trust his definition without feeling like you have to serve an agenda. This takes humility. It takes humility to be completely dependent upon something outside of yourself. And and when you look around and you see injustice, see in that injustice the sufferings of Christ, the humility of Christ. For he has, for he was the one who was righteous and humbled himself and took the punishment of the guilty to satisfy God's justice. If you're here this, this evening or maybe you're on Zoom and, and you don't know Christ or, or maybe you have a family member that, don't know, that does not know Christ, consider what it looks like to stand in the face of God who will bring this justice and say, you can't decide what's right and wrong for me. I will decide what's good and evil for me. I will decide what is just and what is unjust. In the end, Any strength that you think you have will be gone. Would you humble yourself and recognize this is God's world. Humble yourself and recognize that there are 
there, there, that you are no better than any other. And you, it is entirely possible that maybe you haven't contributed to cultural injustice. The reality is that no man is righteous in and of themselves. Look to Jesus and recognize that the one, one of the realities that the cross, death, burial, and resurrection screams is that one day we will all stand before God as our just and righteous judge. And either your sins have been paid by Christ or they will be paid by you. Brothers and sisters, tonight, God is not blind nor has he closed his eyes to the ugly realities of our world today. But we must remember this. Justice poured out. Remember that the justice poured out through the death of Christ is the means by which he is making all things new. Friends, when you can't see it, God is in control of the situation. And trusting God and his justice requires humility. I find it incredibly difficult to read Habakkuk chapter 1 and 2 and not recognize that God is at work in and through the events of the world in 2020. But friends, listen, if, if the death of Christ is the means by which he is making all things new, then let us boast in the Lord, not in your gun and the Second Amendment. Not in your strength and the ability you have to defend yourself. Not in the American Constitution or the American dream. Your bank account, your position, the gate at the end of your driveway in the East Mountains or maybe in town, it's the gate at the end of your community. Don't boast in your mask or your ability to follow the rules or your health or your income or your family name or the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or Donald Trump or Joe Biden or now Kanye West. Let us humble ourselves and recognize that we have all shaken our hand in the face of God and outside of Christ. We all deserve justice. Let us be the people known that boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I pray. Lord, that we would, as a people, Lord, Followers of you, recognizing your justice, God, I pray that we would stay grounded at the cross. And Father, I pray that we would stay humble at the cross. Pray these things, thanking you for the relativity of your word, Lord, and how much it means to us 2,600 years later. Thank you. Pray these things in your precious son's name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.